All right, so we are going to do things um, backwards from what you're accustomed to, likely. We are going to look at the second two-thirds of Colossians chapter 4 first, and then we're going to switch back and cover the rest. Now, imagine my wonderful surprise when I was told that we were studying Colossians. I was excited because, well, have you ever read the book of Colossians? It's awesome. There's a bunch of amazing stuff in there that, that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul wrote to the people in Glossy. It's awesome. And then someone asked me, oh, hey, oh, it was Marvin, actually. Hey, I'm going to be gone. Do you mind preaching on Colossians chapter 4? And I was like, yeah, sure, sounds awesome. After I prayed about it, of course, my wife and I talked about it, made sure we were going to be here. And then I was remembering Colossians, and I'm like, oh, Marvin's doing chapter 3. That's awesome. Because, you know, there's stuff in Colossians chapter 3 that people don't like to talk about, and it triggers people, and people get upset, and if they don't like what they hear, they might leave, or they might walk away, or whatever, and I was like, yes, I want to hear Marvin's take on this, <laughs> and then I was like disappointed because I found out many, 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 many months ago, we had planned a family reunion in way over in Ohio, and I had to go to that, so I couldn't be here last week to hear Marvin's take on this. Imagine my surprise Wednesday morning when a member of the men's Bible study said, oh, hey, did you hear what Marvin said and did Sunday? I said, no, what do you do? Oh, he left that last portion of Colossians ch chapter three for you. I was like, oh, really, he did. And I, I also was told that he did something like, shh, don't tell him. I mean, what's, what's that all about, right? Putting all the burden on me, um, that, that's awesome. So we're going to, we are going to cover that last portions of Colossians chapter three and that first portion of Colossians chapter four. Secondly, after we cover the second two-thirds of Colossians chapter 4. In all honesty, I was actually excited that uh, Marvin left me that last portion of Colossians chapter 3 because what is in Colossians chapter 3 in the beginning of chapter 4 is actually incredible. And um, I remember studying when I was young and then at the university and doing all these Bible studies and all this stuff. And um, before being ordained and all that, you have to... You know, they have to give you a bunch of information to make sure you actually know stuff, right? Um, that doesn't really allow you to speak or know something, but it gives you a bunch of information. And I remember we had to study this one class where the name of the book was actually The Hard Sayings of Paul. I'm like, okay, what are these hard sayings of Paul? Well, there's stuff that we either don't understand or don't want to understand or information that we just don't want to hear because it's convicting and it's triggering and it causes us to be, ooh, I'm going to put my walls up and protect myself right now and pretend like they never said that stuff because, you know, that actually applies to me. Uh, incidentally, I'm so thankful to be here with everyone this morning and I'm so thankful to see all the smiles on everybody's face and all that joy that God has inside you and um, everything that he has and, and been doing for you. And um, sometimes when I'm preaching or teaching, I get really excited, so there's some key members in the congregation that are supposed to give me a signal if I start doing this thing where I get excited and I talk too fast and I start being this fire hose of information that's just pouring out, pouring out on you, and they're supposed to go like this. So if anybody else wants to join them, <laughs> please go right ahead, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thankful for, for everyone who's here. Um, and this is important to mention right now because now as we're starting to look at verses 7, and if you don't mind going ahead and uh, putting uh, from verse 7 on uh, as we're going through here. Um, I appreciate Liam so much because he stumbled through these difficult words, these Greek and Hebrew and Roman names, 
And he did a great job. Most people aren't trained to be able to read and, and share those names. So I appreciate that he did that. I mean, look, Tychicus or Tychicus, whichever way you want to pr pronounce it. I mean, the guy's not here anymore, so I don't think he's going to be offended. So you can just pronounce it however you want. So, but Tychicus, you know, Paul calls him this beloved brother and faithful servant. And then you go on down to verse 8 and, and, and 9, and they're talking about Onesimus, or as I like to call him, one Simus. It's just, you know... <laughs> He was here one time, and he's moved on. But he calls him this faithful and beloved brother. So we got Tychicus, Onesimus, and now we get to Aristarchus, this guy who's a fellow prisoner. He doesn't tell us who he is as a fellow prisoner, but he acknowledges him. And then he talks about Barnabas, the cousin of Mark, because they would have already known Mark, because it says that they already received instructions from Mark, so they, 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 they know who this person Barnabas is. And then we keep reading, and there's this guy called Jesus who is called Justice. I, I don't know the story there, but I would love to hear it because stories are pretty awesome, quite frankly. And I, I want to know how in the world he got to this name Justice because I, I know my name is Jeremiah, but, you know, Jeremiah J. Jones, and I know the story behind why I got called J sometimes in high school, and it was because I actually grew up kind of in the city, and I went to Arlington High School, and I started playing Bible Bowl with a couple churches and got to know a bunch of people who were in the Christian church and all this stuff and were playing Bible Bowl. And they found out that I went to Arlington High School because in the 90s, going to Arlington High School, Arlington High School was not something you bragged about. It was something you actually kind of hid and didn't tell anybody. And so now I'm going to this church. It was O'Glanton Christian Church at the time with all these people who are from the suburbs. And I'm, you know, from Arlington on the east side. And Jeremiah just doesn't go with the cool dude from Arlington. So they started calling me Jay. So, you know, if you want to bring up those memories for me, just call me Jay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was like, that's the cool guy. So that's how the story of how I got called Jay, even though my name is Jeremiah, and most people still call me Jeremiah, which is perfectly fine. But this guy, Justice, Paul brings up, his name is Jesus, but you guys will know him by Justice, or you've heard about him. So there was some significance there. Paul knew this guy, and the Colossians knew this guy. So he is bringing up something that was relevant and important to them. Then he goes on to say um, that these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. He's making an extremely important point here. He is saying these guys are serving Gentiles and loving on Gentiles and Gentile churches, and these are the only guys who are here with me who are Jews. Of the circumcision simply means that they were Hebrews and that they were circumcised on the eighth day as part of God's chosen people. And now they have chosen to follow Jesus, and now they are here serving with me. That's an important statement because he's acknowledging something to the Colossians. And if you understand who the Colossians were, um, which I remember we watched this video at the very beginning, but that was like four weeks ago, and you might not remember um, but Paul, at this point in time, had gone out on his missionary journeys, and, well, I mean, he's in prison right now, but he had gone on those missionary journeys, and those were to reach the Gentiles, not the Jewish people. Jesus called Paul directly to reach the Gentiles. So the fact that there are other Jews that see these Gentiles as their brothers and as important is relevant, and we're going to get to why it's relevant in a moment. I mean, other than the fact that it's relevant because, obviously, they um, didn't associate with Gentiles. They tried to stay with their own Jewish people. And then he talks about Epaphras. 
whom he calls a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is one of those tough words that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Bond slave. What is a bond slave? That is somebody who literally gave up their life in some way, shape, or form for whatever the circumstances to be a slave, and they were bound by some kind of contract as a slave. Not a servant, a slave. And Paul brings this up because many times throughout reading the epistles with the Holy Spirit, um, we are called to be slaves. We are not just called to be servants. And Paul, in fact, calls himself a bond slave, simply meaning that he has chosen to give up his own life to be all about Jesus, to be all about God the Father, to be all about the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was always giving glory and honor to God the Father. And when Paul met Jesus and realized who Jesus was, he started doing the same thing, giving all glory and honor to the Father. It was no longer about him and his story or how he even came to get the name Paul, like I came to get the nickname Jay. He was originally called Saul. The name changed to Paul. And if you study anything else about Paul, he was this amazing, intelligent genius who was actually on track to take over to, to, to be the next high teacher. He studied under this guy named Gamaliel, who was one of those people that probably had what's equivalent today of five or six doctorates and was this super genius, and he knew everything. And Paul literally studied directly under him and was pegged to possibly be the next Gamaliel. So Paul was a genius. Paul was super intelligent. He was not this guy who didn't know what he was talking about. But Paul always pointed to, it's not about me. You know, I, I've had all these things happen to me. I have all this education. I can pretty much thumb my nose up at or look down on anyone out there. And yet, he's always pointing to himself as a slave. And so he mentions Epaphras and gives him this wonderful compliment of being a bond slave of Jesus and that he's also sending his greetings to the Colossians, and he's also praying over them, and he's also telling him what he's praying about. He's praying that they will stand perfect and fully assured in the will or in all of the will of God. That's a huge compliment. This guy cares about you, and I care about him so much, and what I've seen in his life is amazing and incredible, and it's worthy of me putting on paper to send to you because it means something to you. It meant something to the Colossians. He goes on to say, I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. One way we might say this is that I have a heart for you. I have a heart for someone. I care about them so much. I'm going to put some of my time and my effort in. And this guy cares about these three groups, these three congregations of brothers and sisters in Christ that he is laboring and praying for them earnestly. Then he goes on to Luke, a physician who... Um, quite possibly could be the guy who wrote um, Luke. Kind of straightforward there. Um, and then he also tells them to greet the brethren Laodicea and Nympha and the church that is in her house. So at Nympha's house, there were some people meeting. And then he said, when this letter is read among you, have it also read to the Laodiceans and share with them what I'm sharing with you. And then say hi to Archippus and um, send him our prayers, basically. You know, and then Paul goes on to say something very important to the Colossians. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment and grace be with you. It's important to note why he wrote this with his own hand or why that's significant. 
Most theologians and Bible scholars and stuff believe that the ailment that Paul suffered from, because if you recall in earlier epistles, Paul mentions that he has this issue. He doesn't say what it is, but he says he has this issue that Satan has been allowed to afflict him and attack him with, and he asked God to take it away three times, and God said no. And then he goes on to say, it's a blessing to me. It is something that helps me remember God and who I am and where I came from because I do not want to ever think that it's by my own power and my own authority, my own will, my own intelligence, my own experiences. It is because of God and God alone. And they believe that this ailment was probably bad eyesight. I don't know about most of you, but I'm kind of thankful for my good eyesight at the moment. I don't even have to take reading glasses. And I've been told that after the age of 40, you've got to start using reading glasses. So I know it's coming. I'm just not there yet, and I'm thankful. But I see several members of our congregation here have glasses or possibly wearing contacts because your eyesight is poor, right? So you need a little help. Well, Paul didn't have glasses. So frequently, Paul would use a man like Timothy. I don't know if you guys remember Timothy, but Paul... Timothy was this scribe who wrote stuff for Paul because Paul could not write it himself. But Paul cared so much about the Colossians, and he had so much positive, good love and attention for them that he actually wrote this with his own hand. All right, now if you'll take um, Scripture back to verse 18 of chapter 3. So Paul mentions all of these men and women who are doing all of this wonderful stuff. And if you go back into any of the epistles with Paul, he always mentions people at the beginning and the end, and he gives them credit. But he doesn't just give them credit. You can look at it and you can see these people mattered to him. These people were important to him. And he frequently said something along the lines of, I could not have done it without these people. I could not be doing this without these people. These people are important. They love God. They're here with me. We frequently make a mistake in our culture, specifically talking about our congregations in the Western world, where we think we can do this alone. We don't need anybody else. Just Jesus and me, I'm good to go. No problem, right? He's got this, he's got me, I'm okay. Paul challenges us that that's just not true. If you go all the way back to Genesis, the first three chapters, You can see how man was created. God creates Adam. He has him name all the animals. And there's something very specific and key in there. God specifically says there was no helper suitable for him. He indicates in the original language there was not somebody there who could do what Adam could not. So what did he do? He did the best thing ever. He created women. Right? Awesome. He created Eve. He said, there is no one here for Adam, so Adam, I'm going to take care of this. Puts him to sleep, takes out the rib, creates Eve. Now, we're not going down the rabbit hole of all the stuff that happens next. You you guys probably already know that part of the story. But the part that we miss is that Adam could not do this alone, and this is before Adam and Eve sinned. This is not after Adam and Eve sinned. So this is not in our brokenness that we need everybody else. It was actually we were created this way. We were created to not be alone. So when we come together for communion, we're sitting there every week alone, taking communion, examining our own heart and all of this stuff. Where's the focus? It's on ourselves. 
That's not the focus that I hear Jesus talking about. It's not the focus that I hear the Holy Spirit talking through the Apostle Paul about. The focus is on other people. This book of Colossians was actually written to encourage and strengthen and love on the people in Colossae, right? Or Colossae, whichever way you want to pronounce it. We can, you know, say it however you want. He wrote this to human beings, the Holy Spirit speaking through them, so they know they wouldn't be alone, so that they knew that they mattered, so they knew they were important, they knew what to do. If something was happening, they knew how to correct it. They knew which direction to go, how to avail themselves of Jesus and encourage and be there with each other. And Paul, one of the smartest men of his time, if not possibly the smartest man of his time, points out to us that we cannot do this alone. We are to be here with each other, encouraging each other, supporting each other. And that brings us to this interesting, amazing, and incredible word. And we're running out of time, so I'm going to try to hurry. Maybe I can just leave that portion for for Marvin next week. Um, (laughs) it, It brings us to this incredible, important, amazing word, appreciation. Now, maybe you haven't heard this word before, but I would imagine you had, but I doubt maybe you've investigated what appreciation actually is and what the definition of appreciation is. So appreciation is simply the attitude or perspective of appreciating someone or something. (laughs) See how I skirted what the actual definition was there and just use the same word there. You're not really supposed to do that. So I'm going to also give you the definition of what appreciation is. And most of us don't understand this or see this or understand how this works. And appreciation is associated with joy and it's associated with relationships, associated with being able to connect, bond, and attach to people. It's associated with being able to attune to other people and attune with God. And did you know, now this is just a little excerpt for maybe next time if they ever give me a chance to talk again. Um, Did you know that if you are not open relationally, we can just call that relational circuits where they get turned on in your brain. If you're not open relationally, you cannot attune to God or other people. And did you know that if you cannot attune to God or other people, you cannot participate in love? Because love, by purest definition, is attachment. And the Hebrew word for this is, i got to get this right, hesed, hesed. They, they do this thing where they actually do this thing with their throat. They, they, it sounds like they're going to spit, but they're hesed love. Because I tried to pronounce it hesed one time, and they said, no, that's, that's not how it's pronounced. It's actually hesed. So you can't really use that word for what you want to use it for. And so, chesed love is actually sticky attachment, bonding love, where you're connected and you cannot be torn apart, right? So in order to reach that place of that sticky love attachment, you have to be able to tune with the people you're with, including attuning with God. On top of that, you cannot do that until you're relationally open. And in our culture, we walk around not being relational. In fact, most of the time, we're pretending to be relational. We're not actually being relational. We're pretending to be relational to accomplish the next task or the next goal or the achievement or figure out what we want to do. Appreciation helps us get to that place where we can attach and bond in love. And so appreciation is gratitude. It's thanksgiving. It's compliments. It's praise. It's worship. It's recognition. Did you know that appreciation also is like a birthday celebration? When you are having a birthday celebration with someone, you're telling them, I'm so thankful you're here, not just because I get to eat cake and ice cream, but because I actually care about you, and I'm going to sing you happy birthday because you matter to me, so I'm going to celebrate that you're alive, and that only, not only gives that person some appreciation, but also gives praise and glory and honor to God, because you're recognizing that God created this person, this person has value, all right? So it's also, prayer is a form of appreciation because you're recognizing that God exists, and you're either speaking to him, or you're receiving from him and listening to him. 
So you're appreciating the fact that he is in authority and that he's over all of us. Validation, comfort, singing songs, all of this are forms of appreciation. And so looking in Colossians, this last section of of chapter 3 and this first section in chapter 4, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. I would challenge you to go to any page in Scripture and not find some form of relational appreciation. I don't think you can do it. And some of you are going, has he read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and um, some of these other books? There's like lists of names and names and names and names. Oh, yeah, well, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. All those names, those were people who existed, who God created, and it shows the family line going all the way to Jesus. So they're very relevant. It's an appreciation showing that God actually was showing the prophecy that he said that the Savior of the world would come out of Abraham and down this line and come out of the Israelite people. All right, so we got to move forward because we're out of time. And if you need to go get your kids, I understand that. Please go grab them and bring them back in here because we love children. And the more noise, the better. Um, so please feel free to bring them back in here because this next part, actually, this last section we're going to talk about, the section that Marvin left for me, talks about wives and husbands and children and slaves and masters and what it is supposed to look like when you are engaging relationally with those people and the relationship that you have with them. So it says, wives, now we're going to use the NASB version. That's the New American Standard Version. We read from the NIV, and what we have up here on the screen is the NASB, the New American Standard Version. I bring that up because if you read the two different versions, they say different words, which is actually very helpful for us because, you know, until King James, you know, the Bible wasn't really written well, Tyndale, but, um, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English, and now most people tend to think that, you know, God hand-wrote it himself in English for us. Therefore, whatever version you're reading is accurate and 100%. I would challenge you to go ahead and read a couple different versions, you know, look some of this stuff up, check out what the Hebrew words were, check out what the Greek words were, Chaldean. I won't get into the other languages like French and German, which probably boggle your mind right now. You're like, wait, French and German, where'd that come from? Ask me later, I'll tell you. Um, we do not have in our language the actual original transcripts to actually read from. So it's helpful to us to see different words to pull out the meaning. And so in this first one, it says, wives, be subject to your husbands. And some, some scriptures say submission or submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. Then it goes on to say, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your masters on earth. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness. What does all of this mean? We need to be careful when we're looking at Scripture that we're not interpreting Scripture the way it wasn't intended and that doesn't match up with the rest of what Scripture has to say. So I'm going to read for you something very important from the book of Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 5, and it's not up there on the screen. Let's just listen to this for a second. Ephesians chapter 5 says something very similar to what we're reading in Colossians, the third portion of chapter 3. You know, you know, speak, you know all this stuff about speaking to people in songs and hymns and, and singing and making melody with your heart, always giving thanks. And then it says, be subject, and the NIV says, submit to one another in the fear or love of Christ. So we read here, wait a minute, it says, wives, 
submit and be subject to your husbands. I've heard some theologians, some preachers, and, and all of them say, well, this is an area where wives and husbands and slaves and masters and children's and parents, they mess up. So Paul was bringing up, oh, hey, this is what got messed up. Therefore, this is the part we need to admonish and, and talk about. This is the part that we need to remind people that this is what it's supposed to look like. Well, I would suggest um, that that's likely true because I'm a human being and I'm a man. And guess what? <laughs> There's times when I do not love my wife. Now, remember, we said that Hebrew word, chesed love, sticky attachment love. Did you know that when you get triggered, or I get triggered, or when our pain gets bumped into, or somebody touches on something we don't like, we get this triggering where our walls go up, and once our walls go up, that's kind of it. The guns come out, we're protecting ourselves behind that fort of these walls, and we do not want to hear anything that anybody else has to say, because in that moment, we have essentially become narcissistic, and you can ask me about that later, it's true. Um, we actually do become narcissistic, and we are all about ourselves and taking care of ourselves and promoting ourselves and getting what we need and not worrying about the other person. So surprise, my wife triggers me sometimes. Uh-oh, that means I become defensive. I become narcissistic. I become selfish and self-centered and self-focused. And guess what I'm not doing? I'm not loving my wife. I'm not allowing that attachment, that relationship with her, and I'm not allowing her to be more important than the problem or issue or circumstance that we're dealing with. Instead, I've made it all about me. I'm not going to tell you the different issues because we can talk about that later. If you want to know, just come up and ask me. There's, there's plenty of them. God's been healing them and changing them and transforming me, and he's going to do that for you as well, or probably already has in many, many multiple ways. But the issue here is that we're pointing out that this is likely what happens when something happens with us and we're focused on ourselves. We are no longer focused on the other person or on God. And in that moment, guess who becomes our enemy? Our spouse, our friend, our brother or sister in Christ. And what do we do when that happens? Well, they are the worst person in the world. Satan's coming out of that person. They got the devil in them. They are not here loving on me. You know, these kind of phrases and, and things. You know, I, I don't say that. I'm, I'm just saying that people say this and think this, you know, that this is what's happening. Um, the reality is we all have some hurts and wounds and pains and struggles and issues and problems, and God wants to do something about them. And so we need to be able to go to our brothers and sisters and do something about it. And even in that moment when your spouse is your enemy, you can still pause, avail yourself of God and the other person. I can even show you guys how to do this. Not today, but another day. But there are ways to be able to say, okay, in this moment, I'm messed up, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm all about myself, and I need to turn around, like Paul says here, and instead love my wife and be attached to her and make her more important and make the relationship with her more important. And I need to make God more important. I need to make a relationship with him more important. And so part of what Paul is expressing here is he is saying, this is what it looks like to live for Christ and to pick up your cross every day and follow him. If you see what's written here, 
in Colossians, and you see this as a list of rules and regulations and something you need to beat somebody over the head with with a stick and say, hey, that's not, that's not what we do, then likely you're not being loving and kind, and you're not submitting and surrendering to your brother or sister in Christ. And you got to do that thing where, you know, Jesus was talking about pulling this giant log out of your eye because they got a splinter in theirs, and, you know, you can't see clearly, but, but God can. So if you look back up in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, but before this, he, he's saying we need to put on love. It's the perfect bond of unity. We need to come together. If we have a complaint against anyone, we need to forgive them. We need to engage with them. We need to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly within us. And then we slip on down here to verse 23 and on. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And then he slips over into talking about masters and what they're supposed to do, and then he talks more about thanksgiving and praise. What he is trying to say here is that if this is not what's taking place, then there's an area of your life where you've not submitted and surrendered to God. Therefore, your faith and your trust in him is missing and lacking. The modern world has actually boiled everything we do down to two basic base, solid emotions, love and fear. And you're either doing everything in your life out of love, or you're doing everything in your life out of fear, or a combination of the two. And so if you lack faith or trust in God in some area, it literally means we're not submitting and surrendering to him, and we're likely not submitting and surrendering to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus addressed this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul. This is the first commandment. The second one is like the first. It's love your brother, your sister, as yourself. Love other people. Love God first. Love other people. When he says that, that's actually a relational word of how you attach. That is not an action. The action comes after you are attached. Jesus' attachment is... uh, God's attachment is whole and complete. He was perfectly loving to us, perfectly he created us, attached to us. And so he says that it was out of his kindness that he sent Jesus. He says this in Jude and in 2 Peter. He says, out of his kindness he sent Jesus for all of us. He loved us first while we were still his enemy. And therefore our response, this is a response to his love. The response is that we love him and we love other people, regardless of where they are. Because you are either in Christ or you're not. And God doesn't separate the two. He says, you're in Christ or you're not, and your responsibility is to love other people because who knows, maybe you're loving this other person will bring them to Christ. And therefore, if your life doesn't look like this, He sandwiches this in between all this thankfulness and all this peace and all this love. If your life doesn't look like this, tell someone. Ask for some help. Engage with someone. Do not let it sit there. Do not let it stay. Allow God to turn it around. Allow him to change and transform us. I'm going to give one last example of love, one last story. Last year, I was listening to a program where they were talking about this former Muslim woman who had converted to Christ, and her conversion story is irrelevant at, the point, at this point in time, or for, for the moment. If you want to know it, you can hear it later. Um, but 
she converted to Christ. And she was so all in with him that she was actually preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone who would hear. She was doing what Christ said, go and make disciples. And so she had the opportunity to speak on the radio. Well, this one Muslim, militant Muslim man heard her, and he wrote her, wrote her a letter. And he said, I'm coming to kill you. What you're doing is wrong. I love Allah, and Allah says we need to kill anyone who's preaching this different message, and I'm coming to kill you. Well, she prayed about it, and this is really weird. Um, she wrote him back. <laughs> and it gets weirder. <laughs> she said, I love you. She said, um, yeah, I was where you are before, but I love you. Here's where I'm at. <laughs> um, and he wrote her back and said, I'm still coming to kill you. I don't care what you said. I don't care what's going on here. I'm still coming to kill you. This went on for three weeks. And at the end of three weeks, this man broke down and he gave his life to Christ because he said, I have never seen anyone love anyone else the way that you're loving me. He said, I was literally coming to kill you. I wasn't just saying this. I wasn't just speaking. I was actually coming to kill you. And you said you loved me anyway, even if you killed, even if you killed me. You said that. That, that reached, reached me deep. So today, if you have not felt the change that is the opposite of what's going on here in Colossians chapter 3, most of us here have already given our life to Christ, and we're still stumbling around, we're still not knowing what to do, we're still not knowing how to avail ourselves of this freedom that Jesus was talking about. What is this life and have it abundantly that Jesus was talking about? Well, he was talking about freedom from all these chains and all these strongholds and all the sin that's in our life and all the sin that's in other people's life that attack us. Being free from that while still living in it, knowing we can still get hurt and these different issues take place, we can be free and live together and do the opposite of what's partially in Colossians chapter 3 saying, you know, these are the things we're not supposed to be doing. These are the things we are supposed to be doing. And we do that with the power and grace and love of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives and through the Holy Spirit in other people. Not just the Holy Spirit in us, but the Holy Spirit in other people. And guess what? Also other people. You are not irrelevant just because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You are still relevant. God loves you. God cares about you, which also means he cares about every other being in this room. And this sticky love that we're talking about, this appreciation, just like the fruit of the Spirit, is in us for other people. So if we're not engaging with each other, we're missing something and someone else is too. I'd like to have the team that's going to Lebanon come up over here on the left side of the stage and have the prayer team and have the prayer team come up to pray with them. And anyone else who feels convicted by the Holy Spirit that they would like to do what God is saying here, to please come up on the left side. Anyone else who needs prayer to come up on the left side and invite the prayer team, members of the ministry teams to come up, please, and, and pray after we close with a word of prayer. Father, we're just so thankful to be here, uh, to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of your family to have all these brothers and sisters who, who love us and whom we can love on. Uh, we thank you so much for all that you've poured out and done for us, Jesus. We thank you. We give you the praise and glory and honor. Father in heaven, as Jesus instructed us, we give you the praise and glory and honor. We know you love us. You know you, you desire for our brothers and sisters and not just for us. And our focus needs to shift off of ourselves 
to you and to our brothers and sisters and to the world who needs you, Jesus. We ask you to fill us up this morning. Fill us up as we go out from here, as we go out and do as you instructed us, Jesus, to make disciples. In the name of the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, we come before you, Lord. Amen.